for purchases. Everyone always said, like, you know, yeah. I can't afford one Bitcoin. So there's price bias by, yeah. by people. But you just invest $100 weekly in Bitcoin. And hopefully over time, mm -hmm. you'll accumulate one full Bitcoin. Because right. here's where I think the price of Bitcoin's going. Okay? I started the show yeah. by telling you. I'm going to tell you how I get to the price of over 2 million bucks of Bitcoin. Okay. Hey everyone and welcome to episode 8 of Smarten Up with JP and Fab where today's guest is Greg Foss. So Greg is a 30-year veteran of the investment industry and specifically he uh, spent a lot of time um, trading fixed income or bonds. Um, he is going to be talking in this episode quite a bit about Bitcoin which is his new passion. He's going to talk about why he thinks Bitcoin will hit $2 million dollars. Uh, and he'll bring in other factors, macroeconomic factors that he thinks will come into play into the economy moving forward. This is a great episode. He moves a little bit fast. So uh, you're, you're going to want to check the show notes out if uh, you're a little bit confused, let's say, with some terms such as fiat, equity, um, the bond market, fixed income, so on and so forth. But uh, once again, I think you'll 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 get something out of this. You're gonna really enjoy it. I know John Paul and I learned a lot, and uh, we can't wait to have him back on the show. So enjoy. All right, Mr. Foss, I'm super excited. I, I know you're excited about this one. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm invested in it. I mean, right. uh, I, I went blindly into it. Now, uh, help I'm me not, understand what okay. I did. I'm not allowed to give investment advice on air or tell people what I am invested in. So okay. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll go with my own regulations. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, so <laughs> Greg, we're here to talk about uh, Bitcoin, yeah. and uh, let's start a bit with uh, kind of about you. Sure. Yeah, let's let's. I want to I want to get your background. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for having me. Um, so my background, it's important. I, I'm going to start with my undergrad. I, I was an engineer at McGill, and that's important because uh, Bitcoin and I don't want to jump ahead, but Bitcoin nope. involves mathematics. You it's need to math, be comfortable yeah. with math in order to embrace Bitcoin. Uh, so I went to McGill for four years. And uh, quite honestly, I wasn't at McGill for engineering. And I knew I didn't really want to be an engineer. Um, but uh, I was there for sports. And after four years, I said, I better... And partying, right? I, I was in a fraternity, <laughs> so there was some of that. There's no yeah. question. But uh, uh, in my fourth year, I... Um, I decided, okay, I better figure out what I'm going to do with life. And yeah. I uh, applied to a business school in the U.S. A couple in Canada had enough money to apply for one business school in the U.S. It was Cornell University. And I would not have gotten in uh, as a Canadian, uh, excuse me, as an American uh, straight up. I had the marks, but I didn't have the work experience. Right. And because they were trying to build an international business school, yeah. uh, I got in. Oh, wow. And it was the best luck of my life because uh, first of all I was young um, and I actually got to, I mentioned the fraternity well when I was down at Cornell I could I lived with six guys who were undergrads in a fraternity that was the same as my chapter at McGill but I was going to school with kids that were older than me or young young men and women they yeah. were older than me because they had put in three four years of, of work experience right. which is typically what they want you to right. do in in a business school anyway fast forward uh i completed two years of uh of, of business school and came out as uh a hundred percent embracing the financial markets i love financial markets i knew i wanted to be a trader I came back to Canada. I did have an opportunity to stay in the U.S., but I said, "No, you think I, I think I want to come back to Canada and try and make a difference in my homeland." 
And uh, I actually returned to Montreal, which was my hometown. And my first job was for the Royal Bank of Canada. And I was working directly for the CFO in a function where one of my first projects was to evaluate the bank's Latin American debt portfolio. Now in 1988, Royal Bank of Canada was insolvent. Okay, what does that mean? It meant that because of our loans that we had made to countries like Brazil, Mexico, mostly South American countries, but also included lesser developed countries like Philippines, Vietnam, etc., the US dollar had strengthened so much that these US dollar based loans to these countries, these the, the country could not pay them back. Mexico was one of the biggest. Uh, the Royal Bank of Canada had just under a billion dollars. Now, a billion dollars doesn't sound like a lot of money these days, but yeah, it was a huge amount of money. Right. And the average trading price of the, this portfolio of loans was about 25 cents on the dollar. And it wasn't that it traded that often, but that's what you could buy more Mexican debt at 25 cents on the dollar. Well, what does insolvency mean? It meant it would meant at the time if you had taken and marked to market the loans that Royal Bank of Canada held and marked them down by 75% and wrote it off against your book value of equity. You guys mm -hmm. are accountants, yep. you understand this. Book value of equity of Royal Bank of Canada was vaporized. Right. Wow. I'm like, geez, this is crazy. And this was in, this was in the late 80s. 1988. Yeah. This was the late 80s. So this was before I, I think it would have been popular to really hedge the currency on, on the There on the was kind of hedge, side, hedgeable right? bases, but most of these were probably freestanding loans, no question. Right. And they just and, let the and, currency let Well, the currency the, their, their currencies got destroyed, right. U.S. dollar uh, right. strengthened on a relative basis. Okay. But uh, Royal Bank of Canada wasn't a loan. Now, it sounds horrible. Canada's largest financial institution wasn't a loan. Every single other global money center bank was insolvent. And right. Treasury Secretary Nicholas Brady came in with a plan to change a five-year loan into a 30-year obligation right. and then backstop most of the principal at 20 cents or 25 cents on the dollar with zero coupon treasuries. Okay. Now, interest rates at that time were about, call it double digits, 12%. Yep. You're buying a zero coupon treasury that accretes to par yeah. over that 30-year period and it starts at a really low price. It's a brilliant solution. So it's like 25 cents on the dollar Correct. and accretes over 30-year period to, to 100 cents to on the par. dollar. Okay. So therefore, by imposing that uh, uh, Brady plan, mm -hmm. the banks didn't have to write their loans down because it will not so be impaired over a 30-year yeah. period. It's brilliant, but it's a yeah. financial, it's accounting gimmickry, okay? Course, yeah. And I'm like, first of all, here's the truth. Before I analyzed the Brady options, I went to my CFO. His name is Emil. He's a great guy, but he actually and he started as a teller in the bank. Okay, right. so this was a time when you could go from being <laughs> teller, teller all the way to, to the CFO. And I and I said, Emil, uh, you know, we got a big problem here. And he goes, I know. Don't tell anybody. I'm like, don't fucking tell anybody. Yeah, but Excuse I'm just gonna find language. out. <laughs> but like, <laughs> like this is this is garbage. I just went through two years of of MBA. They never tell you that banks go bankrupt all the time. Mm -hmm. I said, then how is it? And I said to him in my head, first of all. I picked the right Brady option. There were two options. I, I We went 100% with one option. It turns out that the option we picked because interest rates changed and everything over the period of time you had to put your bid in. Um, we picked the right option. It was worth two cents on the dollar. Well, that's not a lot, but two cents on two billion was 20 million bucks, okay? Right. I made 20 million bucks for the bank. I'm like, 
I made the right decision. But I also said, Emil, these bonds are cheap. We got to buy more. So what does a bank do? We're not buying anymore. We've made enough loans at 100 cents on the dollar. God forbid we buy anymore at 20 cents on the dollar or 25 cents. So first of all, they didn't increase their exposure. Secondly, the price went through 100 cents on the dollar more quickly than when the the maturity of the loan became because Mexican credit quality picked up and interest rates and oil prices moved in a way that made the bonds more powerful or more valuable rather. Well, we never bought anymore. The banks were able to financial accounting gimmickry not write their loans down to market. But I said to myself at that time, I said, how is it then that depositors have confidence to put their money in a bank that can be insolvent? Why is that? You guys know the answer because there's an implied backstop by exactly. a federal government. We're going to print money. Then how exactly? So how can the government's print, uh, backstop them? It's by printing money. So I, since 1988, have been looking for a solution to the Fiat Ponzi. And I'll be very honest with you. Fiat is a Ponzi. Right. Okay? It's built on continually continually printing money mm-hmm. to be able to satisfy your increasing debt balloon. Very simple, grade 11 mathematics, and I'll walk through that with you guys in due course. But anyway, 1988, I I finished working for the Royal Bank in 1990, and I I, I wanted to trade credit. The Royal Bank did not buy any more high yield bonds, or excuse me, any more Latin American bonds. I was like, you guys are knuckleheads, you should have bought more. Anyway, I went into the trading business where I wanted to develop, uh, help develop a high yield bond market for Canada. Because Canadians are idiots, okay? When it comes to investing, Canadians are idiots. They will buy the equity mm-hmm. of a high-yield bond company, but they won't buy the bonds, which are mm-hmm. a senior claim in the capital structure, right. because the bonds are junk. Right. Now, right. can you explain that to me? No, you can't. Because if you can't explain it to me, you shouldn't be an accountant. Well, okay? I can explain the reasoning of why they would do that. Tell, tell me what that reason they're is. Afraid of they're afraid of the downside on the high-yield debt. Because they're, they're but what happens right to the equity then? If the high yield debt has downside, yeah, yeah. what about the equity? So what their their mentality is, from what I'm seeing in in you know in the market, is you know why am I going to buy the high yield debt? I'm going to get my coupon and now. Let's say high yield high yield debt is well. That's at 5%. the time at the time because yeah. I'm going to yeah, walk the you time through the scenario. Yeah. But let's say right now, yeah. Why am I going to buy this high yield debt where my complete upside, at least in their mind, is the coupon five six percent? I love your analysis. You know what I mean? Yes. But the down the downside risk is almost as as prolific as the downside risk of the equity. I'll take an issue right? with that, but I understand yeah. your. But that, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so I'm going to walk you saying. through a little scenario yeah. that I had when yeah. I was when I was a trader on the desk. Okay, so did you know that Rogers Communications, Ted Rogers, was not just the largest high yield bond borrower in Canada; he was actually the largest high yield bond borrower in the world. So they were issuing his bonds. Into the United States market. Okay. Okay. He had $4 billion of high-yield debt issued into the U.S. market that the U.S. guys were happy to buy a world-class cable and wireless plant relative to their own guys. They would put another 100 basis points on top of the coupon relative to what they would charge their own guys. With a legal monopoly. Correct. Okay, look, it yeah. was a, a easy trade for the U.S. guys right. to do it. Ted okay. Rogers did not have any U.S. dollar revenues to have a natural hedge against his U.S. dollar exposure. So right. we wanted to try and create Canadian dollar demand for Ted Rogers. Would alleviate the need for him to swap and hedge his currency 
exposure in the U.S., which he did. Was rolling forwards back then expensive? They do it through a swap. It's exactly the right? same thing as rolling forwards. Okay. okay? What, was, what was it costing? 25 basis points? Oh, it, it was, like almost it was more than zero, and he didn't want to pay it anyway because okay. he was paying a, a fairly high coupon in the U.S. Okay. So let's say we came, and we were trying to do this. We could come to market in Canada with a coupon that was around 10%. Okay. On Ted Rogers' 10-year debt. Denominated in Canadian. Canadian dollars. Okay. So he didn't have to hedge anything. His revenues were in Canadian dollars. Perfect. His debt expense was in Canadian dollars. Now, I'll, I'll insert this. A lot of Canadian industries, such as steel and forest products, which are volatile by nature and therefore are risky, in, in a sense, those industries are capped to the maximum credit rating they can aspire to just because of the volatility Correct. of their yes. of their business. Right. Okay, so <clears throat> makes sense for steel companies to borrow in US dollars because steel is priced in US dollars, okay? Yes. Same thing with forest products, but right. communications company, totally different. Ted was, we were trying to bring about a $400 million new issue for Ted Rogers to mature some of his US paper and also uh, reduce his uh, swap lines of credit and everything that he needed. And I said, well, a good place to start would be with some of the largest equity holders of Ted Rogers' debt. So there was one account. So you would market it to them, I guess. I, okay. you know, I had high yield bond accounts, yeah. but I wanted to expand the universe. Okay. A lot of my high yield bond accounts were already in the United States and they did not want Canadian dollar exposure. They, they preferred wanted, US, yeah, dollar exposure. US dollar So we're trying to develop this market in Canada. I figure, okay, well, I'll call one of the largest equity holders. Um, the one account that shall remain nameless, although I'm so embarrassed that I should throw out their name on, on in public that they're such idiot <laughs> asset managers, okay? They owned $900 million yeah. of Rogers Communications common stock. Okay. That, that's it a, paid no dividend. That's a significant chunk. It paid no dividend. Right. Okay. And... I call them up and I say, okay, Mr. Account ABC, actually, I'll give you their two initials. Okay, Mr. Account MB, why don't you sell some of your equity, buy the bond that is a senior claim in the capital structure, treat the 10% coupon on the bond like the equity, sorry, like the dividend you're not getting on the equity, and reduce risk by moving up in the capital structure. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. How much can I put you in for? Uh, The answer would be zero. Okay, zero. Why? Well, because it's a junk bond. Okay, well, look, let's pejoratives aside, you own super junk equity that pays zero dividend. Don't you think this trade has merit? (laughs) Uh, No, because I'd have to go to my investment committee and tell them I owned a junk bond. Right. I go, well, let's play a game. Obviously, the 10% price isn't big enough. The 10% coupon is not big enough. And that's how you negotiate a new high yield deal. You just increase the coupon until it clears at par. Just sell at a discount at, at what until price? you get whatever Well, you, you know what I mean? When you're pricing yeah. a new issue, it comes at par, yeah, yeah. Exactly. give or take a few uh, cents. Points, base. Yeah. But comes at par and the coupon could be 10% or I like it at 11%, but 10% is too rich so, rich, so I'm not in the book. But you build yeah. a book. Okay, Mr. MB, what price would you buy it? There's no price. Okay, wait a minute. There can't be no price. <laughs> yeah. Let's Here's play 25%. What, it, yeah. what if I gave you the bonds for free? What if I gave them to you for free? Right. The, the lady, the trader on the other side goes, I wouldn't take them. I go, what? You wouldn't take them? She goes, nope, because I'd have to report to my investment committee. I own the junk, junk bond. Bonds. So at this point, That's I'm the trader crazy. and the salesman yeah. is on the phone. And I go, 
I think you could be the stupidest account I've ever spoken to in my life. And then the, the salesman jumps on the phone. Foss, get off. And he's hitting the key. <laughs> get off the phone because the salesman's protecting his account. Of like course. it's yeah, his yeah. bread and butter, wanna, right? Yeah, yeah. Andy McNair, if you're listening, that's the who the salesman was. <laughs> I still love you, kid, but your account was a moron, okay? And they still are a moron. Okay, so. did you Hold, hold on. Did you lose $900 million for him? Oh, no. Well, he, so 900 million was his equity valuation. Yeah. At the time, Ted Rogers was a high yield borrower. Right. They didn't realize that they would have been far better off for five years owning the bond because right. the equity still had a zero return over a period of the next five years. Correct. But when Ted Rogers finally grew into his capital structure, yeah. the equity took off. Right. So there's a time to own the equity of a high yield bond company. Mm-hmm. But generally, you own the debt. The equity is an option, okay? So, yeah, you can call one super junk equity is the, uh, super junk debt would be the equity or the flip side is the equity, the, the bonds, are senior equity. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. don't don't silo yourself with inefficient investment right. constraints. Long story, Ted Rogers grew into his capital structure. He is no longer a high yield borrower. He funds himself entirely in Canada at what's called investment grade spreads. Now, right. let's not get into investment grade versus non-investment grade without considering price because I can guarantee you I can turn an investment grade, quote unquote investment grade asset into non-investment grade by having too expensive a price. Yeah. Or I could trade turn a non-investment grade asset into, and this is as defined by the rating agencies, mm-hmm. into an investment grade if the price is attractive enough, right? Meaning mm-hmm. if the coupon is high enough. So one of the big pet peeves I have with credit rating agencies is they give these subjective ratings on credit without considering the price. I mean, has, how asinine is that? It's like saying buy a stock without ever considering the price. You, you would yeah, never do that. it's just the way they define it. Okay. Because you just change it. It's 100 years yeah. old. It's 100 yeah. years old and it's also stupid. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you got to call out the farces as you see them. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So I was a high yield trader. And sorry to interrupt you because yeah. they gave investment grade rating to all the mortgage backed securities Hence, 12 years okay, ago. Okay. Let me go through my career. Yeah. So this was 19. Uh, uh, so in 1988, I lived through um, the Brady Bond and, and the rational, the realization that the, the, fiat banking system is leveraged 20 to 1. And Henry Ford said 100 years ago, he said, if the average American understood how banking really worked, Mm -hmm. there'd be a revolution. He called it. Because banks are levered 20 to 1. That means if you have 5 cents of risk absorbing capital against a $100 loan, how many loans haven't lost 5% of their value in commercial real estate Mm -hmm. down in in downtown Toronto? Mm -hmm. Do you think they haven't lost 5% of their value? I'd suggest they have. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day though, I I went 1988 and then in 1998 was long-term capital management, which was was another farce, okay? They socialized the losses of three no or two Nobel Prize winners that based their they were they were levered 90 to one Mm -hmm. on a vol volatility strategy that they sold vol to the street and when you sell vol that means you're selling insurance Mm -hmm. when you they sold vol to the street to all the big investment banks at a 90 to one leverage and they based it on six years of data Okay, if you read the book, which is an absolute brilliant book called uh, When Genius Failed yeah. by, I think, Roger Lowenstein or something like that, it is an absolute, absolute must read to show how stupid Nobel Prize winners can and be. And they tanked, when was it, when, when the ruble 
Um, uh, that was all part and parcel of it, right, but basically right. it was just because volatility went from 13% annualized to like yeah. 85%. Because right. that's what happened when vol spikes, okay? Mm -hmm. And these guys are like, it's at 99% confidence intervals. And they based it on six years of data. Like right. Mr. Nobel Prize, yeah. we should take away your prize, okay? <laughs> right. Again, this is just asinine shit that, yeah. that, that happens on a regular basis in the financial markets. So I left TD in about 2004 to work for what's called the buy side. I, I moved to a hedge fund, a credit focused fund that managed mm -hmm. credit on behalf of mutual fund investors and institutions that in want in Canada, okay? okay? And um, in 2007, I was getting an inkling that things were, were right. pretty ugly. Um, and I actually decided to leave the business to become a school teacher, okay? Oh, I wanted to get out. I love teaching. I thought I loved teaching. I, I said, I'd I, I done okay in life. Um, I, I, you know, we had, we were high yield mutual fund of the year. We had, we had got various prizes and whatnot. And I actually just wanted to move on. And plus I felt that the market was gonna explode. Like you feel it in your gut. Things were stupid. Char Charles Prince, the CEO of Citibank said some stupid statement like when he was funding uh, junk bond, or not junk bond, but leverage buyout takeovers using junk bonds. Well, the music's playing and you gotta dance when the music's playing. And you just know that stuff this like that. This was 07? To 07, okay. okay? You know that Before. stuff like that's gonna Because that's up. when I got into hedge funds. Attaboy. Oh, well, <laughs> well, maybe. Depends what hedge fund you got in. Because yeah. in 2007, Everybody was destroyed yeah. going into 2008, 2009. Yeah. Well, I wanted to be a school teacher, but what did I do? I found myself sitting at home trading my own personal portfolio and right. I was right into the markets. And I ended up going back to another hedge fund uh, called Griffiths McBurney Investment Manager and GMPIM. And my partner was Mike Weckerly. Do you guys know who Mike is? Like, he's one of the most colorful guys on Bay Street. He's been on the show Dragon's GMP, Den. They were, this is... Uh, Griffiths McBurney yeah. Partners. Yeah, yeah. They're the equity trading boutique. They were, they they were put on, together... Um, they were on in the TD building, were they not? The, the, they're all, they're in, all, the, the, in, they're all in the yeah. downtown core. But, but uh, Weck was a very colorful equity trader that uh, great risk manager, he put like 50 million bucks of his own money into this hedge fund. Okay. Uh, they attracted about another 200 million and it was locked up. Okay. And it was right at the, at the beginning of the, the credit crisis. Right. Lehman Brothers had, had just defaulted. Uh, I shouldn't say beginning, but when things were really heating up. Right. And I, I went to them and my old boss, at TD was the risk manager at GMP Investment Management. And he said, Foss, we need credit expertise because nothing in equities makes any sense. If you don't understand what's going on time, in yeah. credit, yeah. You, you don't touch equities. Right. So I got in at the right time and uh, we started really taking some incredibly easy bets that were, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll explain one, to, one of them to you. Most of them involve cross-border arbitrage where the bonds traded say, in the US. An and, and, oh, it has to be. Yeah. That's what a hedge fund is. But yeah. listen to this one opportunity. So Nova Chemicals, Canadian company that right. had most of their revenues in the US and hence yeah. had US dollar debt, had a six-month bond that was trading at about 60 cents on the dollar in six months. Okay. Yeah. So what's the IRR on that? It's over 100%. Yeah, it's crazy. If, if, Just buy it if and it, hold it. Okay, or well, what happens if they don't pay, if they don't if make they don't payment, pay, yeah. then it goes from 60 down to 40 because of recovery value on all the assets, right? right? 
But they most of the equity on Novachem traded in Canada. Right. So one of the trades that I was doing uh, was I was buying $2 strike price puts on Nova Chemicals equity okay. at 40 cents, yeah. a six month put. Okay. Okay. And I was also purchasing the bond at 60 cents on the dollar, which meant okay. unless that bond was worth 100 cents on the dollar, okay. the equity was worth zero. So I had a $2 put option. Yes. That I was paying forty cents on the uh, forty cents on the two dollar strike. Okay, so you're long the put. Uh, along long the, the put bond. and long the equity and long, long the credit. The bond. Yeah. yeah, long the credit. Okay, okay so the uh, the credit paid a forty dollar return in the event they paid off their a forty dollar return on a sixty dollar investment, and the put option cost me forty cents on two dollars, about a twenty percent. Okay, twenty okay, percent. So I was going to make about eighty five percent. Yep. And it cost me twenty percent to sure. make eighty-five. You net the two out. I was making sixty-five percent. But it's risk pretty free. much guaranteed. No, it's a hundred percent guaranteed yeah, because you bought. Okay, long so listen, listen, or... listen. Hundred percent guaranteed. The yeah. problem was I couldn't buy enough put options. Right. So okay. my boss, Jason Marks, comes over to me. He's the chief risk officer, and he's a Harvard MBA. And he looks at me and he goes, "Foster, what are you doing today?" Because he was always yeah. sorry, sorry. I go, "I'm doing this trade, Jason." And he's an academic and he goes, no, you're not. It's impossible. That trade cannot exist in an efficient market. I go, well, the market's definitely not efficient. Okay, there you go. But it doesn't matter. Remember, <laughs> yeah. he's a book guy. He's, yeah, yeah. A, he's an academic. Yeah, yeah. Markets are efficient. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Jason, guess what? They're not. Okay, I'm doing it. Right. And he's like, he gets down with his math and he's about to run off to a meeting and he's getting down with his math and he's like, oh, Jesus Christ, he is doing it. And I go, but here's the thin edge of the wedge is I can't purchase enough put options. Right. Okay. That's, I needed to hedge too much. And he goes, I had maybe put $5 million worth of debt on at 60 cents on the dollar. So I had invested 3 million bucks. I needed to yeah. hedge it with, you do your math and you say, I need to invest it. I, I need to hedge a $40 downside. I need to buy about, uh, you know, $2 million worth of put options on a $2 stock. I needed a million options, okay? Yeah, That's impossible. a lot. Yeah. Okay, well, it's not impossible because yeah. you can do it in, 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 in chunks. Yeah. But he looks at it. He goes, this is amazing because it's infinite return. Yeah. It is an infinite return on capital. Yeah. This is amazing. And he's about to run off to a meeting and he goes, keep doing it. And he's my li limit guy. I go, Jason, man, how much can I do just to test him? Everything. Yeah. Okay, guess what he answered? He said infinite. Do infinity. Isn't that kidding? a beautiful answer? He was yeah. the risk guy? He was the risk guy and he told me to do <laughs> infinity. But isn't that, you're supposed to do infinity. Yeah. It was absolutely if 100%. You can buy it, if you can get it in the market. Okay, so yeah. then I started being really aggressive on purchasing the puts, right? right. So I'm buying up the puts. And when you, when you buy puts from the street, the way that you hedge a put, if you have sold the put, is you have to delta hedge against the common stock. I Meaning you have to get short the common stock. Mm -hmm. So I get really aggressive. Start put, And I hear in the background on the boom box that goes down to Griffiths, what the fuck is going on with Novacam Equity? I just have no fucking idea. My accounts are getting destroyed. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting up here in my little seat up there and I'm fucking them. Okay, I'm fucking them left, right, because they're so fucking stupid that they're not buying the bonds that they should be buying. That's hilarious. Okay, so anyway, these are some of the trades we put on. Our best trade ever, though, was in a product that was brought specifically to Canada called Asset Back Commercial Paper based on leveraged super senior investment grade debt in the US. Mm -hmm. 
It was brought to Canada because our super smart Case de Depoy Plasmans Quebec decided they wanted to earn about six basis points more on 90-day commercial paper than they would pay or they would receive with bank-sponsored, meaning a bank backstop mm-hmm. commercial paper. So for that 60 basis points, six basis points rather, they put 16 billion of this stuff on their balance sheet. It was about 10% of their assets that was leveraged super senior exposure to the United States credits. And those were five year Mm -hmm. term and they had to roll 90 day paper to keep funding it, right? Because you have to keep rolling the 90 day commercial paper Mm -hmm. to fund your five year obligation. It's called a gap mismatch, a funding mismatch. Well, the case had 16 billion. The total market in Canada was 32 billion. You guys may have remembered this stuff. Coventry was huge, selling it into uh, uh, retail accounts. Oh, pick up, pick up yeah. basis points. Well, look, if you'd done the math properly, these idiots were buying something at 99 cents on the dollar that should really have been priced around 90 cents on the dollar. Right. Everything, everything else being equal. Okay. The U.S. investment banks were taking nine cents of VIG out of the trade by structuring this product for them, bringing it cross-border and selling it into Canada. They did thirty-two billion. Do the math. What's ten percent or nine percent of thirty-two billion? The U.S. investment. Well, they made. You know, what's that math about? Three billion dollars. Okay. Yeah. It was a gravy train for the U.S. investment banks. The idiot Canadian accounts were buying it, including the endowment funds of Western Ontario, McGill University. All of these guys had this stuff. The case got worried because if they had $16 billion of exposure, about two or 3% of that exposure was actually US subprime. So it wasn't a hundred percent. There was a a super senior. There was was a sliver Mm -hmm. that was US subprime. So they panicked and they said, we're not rolling. And all of a sudden that paper went from 99 cents on the dollar down to like 20 cents on the dollar with no trade. So we did our math and we said, this is crazy. First of all, you subtract out the three cents per dollar that's US subprime. Mm -hmm. It's still off the 90 cents that it should be trading at at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You're down to 87 cents and this thing is trading at 20. Well, let's do some more math. Let's do some more math, but we're gonna buy some at 20. Because you don't ever do real math until you actually own some to actually, to figure out what you got. Well, at 20 cents on the dollar, we looked at this stuff and we said, you know what? This is almost 100% exposure to one company, Hewlett Packard. We can go out in the market and purchase protection on Hewlett Packard yep. and buy these discounted, formerly 90-day commercial paper notes that mm-hmm. got restructured into a, into a five-year product. Mm-hmm. We can hedge it all with purchase on one US investment grade name. Right. We did that. And how did you hedge it? You by by purchasing by, credit default insurance. So okay, that's so you, a CDS. Like a, a, a we're we're buying an insurance. Correct. It's okay. a CDS swap. It's a, an yeah. insurance. It's the equivalent of paying an insurance premium yeah. to a broker yeah. that says, yes, I'm going to hedge you. And I'll put that in the show notes so that if people okay. want to know what a credit default swap is. And that's what I wrote yeah. my whole paper on. And yeah. that's why Bitcoin is going to get exciting because yeah. I'll tell you, I base all the analysis on Bitcoin on credit okay. default swap analysis. Okay. okay. So okay. you could have purchased it on... Hewlett Packard hedged out almost your entire risk. It's trading at 20 cents on the dollar. We start buying. The problem is there's 32 billion notional dollars available. Right. And we're like at this time a $700 million fund. Yeah. Right. And we're like, 
we just don't have enough buying power. We right. can't put the entire fund in this, even yeah. though we should no, have. No, no, yeah. But we so we start buying, we start buying, and then we start recycling it, and the price starts going up. I'm buying it from places like, seriously, Western Ontario business, uh, Western Ontario Endowment Fund, right? Canada Post Office. The biggest trade I ever did. I was at a hockey tournament in Prague, Czechoslovakia, with my son. Mm-hmm. I bought something like a hundred and fifty million dollars notional of this, which meant face value of this paper. I was in Prague, Czechoslovakia. I knew the seller was the Canada Post Office. Right. I knew the price I was going to put it on. Let's say 150. Uh, was this their pension fund? It, 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 yeah, exactly. Okay. The Canada Post Pension Fund. And they transacted through JP Morgan, New York. Right. Because, oh, you will never do this through a Canadian broker because they're yeah. not smart enough. Yeah. So the Canadian, the post office, which is always too smart by a half, sells it to JP Morgan in New York. JP Morgan contacts me in Prague, yeah. Czechoslovakia, said, okay, you're done. And I bought probably like $50 million worth. I, I spent $50 million worth of cash mm-hmm. to buy 160 million-ish worth of, uh, worth of exposure, yeah. okay? It's about 8 p.m. Prague time, and there's a tournament uh, banquet going on. And I go back down to the banquet, and I'm like, fuck, I just bought fucking... Then I'm like, holy shit, I just bought 160 million worth of shit. I need to get upstairs again and start trading it and get right. and laying off some of my risk or whatever, you know? Yeah, for sure. Anyway, it came uh, full circle. Those bonds we bought at like 35 cents on the dollar eventually matured at 100 cents on the dollar. Wow. Okay? Oh, and it was the best trade that I've ever been involved in in, in terms of a risk-adjusted analysis, Okay. Because sure, how quickly did they mature again? Yeah, about five years. It okay. took about five years okay. to go from thirty-five cents on the dollar up to a hundred cents on the dollar. But there were even better trades. Okay, because th- there was a generic portion, but there were all these notes, most uh, uh, called tracking notes that that uh, related to other products, mostly U.S. subprime. But get this one: one package I bought was. Uh, uh, had these tracking notes that I'd never seen before. I'll even tell you what they were. They were called MAV3 Class 16. Okay. I said, I bid on this package. It was a small package. I think I was, you know, it was $5 million notional. And they had these MAV tracking notes, as uh, MAV3 tra- tracking notes. I said to the broker who's out of New York, I go, dude, I have no idea what these things are, but I'm going to give you for the $1.7 million of exposure of these notes. I'll give you $25, not 25 cents on the dollar, mm-hmm. $25 out of my pocket. Okay. Just because you always want to put a price on a contract. Otherwise, lawyers may say, well, there was a zero price on it, so we'll nullify that contract. Right. Yeah, so because there has, my, to be, there has to be a price compensation. So I put yeah. $25 on $1.7 million of exposure, mm-hmm. okay? And I go home that night and I'm like, Geez, I better figure out what I bought. Like, I know that $25 flushed. I, I, I own nothing, you know. But it, it, let me just do some research because it's all on the internet. It's, it's there, but you have to dig deep. I go to these notes and I go, well, this is interesting. I just bought immigrant loans for Quebec immigrants. Okay. Okay. I bought $1.7 million of Quebec immigrant loans that were maturing in about a year and a half. And I bought them for $25 on $1.7 million. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're gonna be worth more than just $25, okay? But I bought them. Then I look at the very last, guaranteed by the province of Quebec. I go, what exactly? (laughs) Fuck. First of all, I should have put these in my private, I I couldn't, but imagine I put them in my personal portfolio. These things, I'm like, 
I better go out and buy more of these things. Right. Like those things matured in about eighteen months, and twenty five dollars turned into one point seven million dollars just because you're in the game. Right. Just because you're buying this stuff. Okay. First of all, I'm like, I can't believe what I just bought. Secondly, I, I, I would have been criminal, but I should have tried to think about how to get them in my PA. I'm joking, right? Yeah, I'm yeah, joking. Yeah, yeah. But we put them in our hedge fund. Third thing, I want more of these. Yeah, of course. So I go out and I'm like, okay, well, I just bought these at $25 on 1.7, but let's say now I'm 10 cents on the dollar bit. So now I'm actually, and I own some and I can offer them at 15 cents. But I don't want anyone to lift me at 15 cents because, you know, they're worth 100 cents in, right. in 18 months. Of course. So you frame a market, 10 cents bid, really small offered at 15 to try and get another offer to come in in right. between your market. Right. Now, it wasn't an easy trade and there wasn't that much stuff available, but we ended up getting more of this paper in. Not a ton of it, but enough that it was another example of being in the game and being able to, to price risk and take advantage of idiot sellers who have no idea what they're selling, okay? A and, lot of and these- institutions with limitations, right? Well, not only that, right? some of them get, what, what happens at the end of the year is they lose accounts. Oh, you've done a horrible job for me, I'm switching my Maybe, account from this, account, yeah. this asset manager to the other asset yeah. manager. And the other asset manager doesn't do his homework because they have a certain amount of time they can sell the paper that they've received from, uh, you know, in a, in a so transfer, yeah. they don't have to. If they'd done their homework, mm -hmm. they wouldn't be selling this stuff. Unless there's a liquidity right. issue. Right? That's always what it is. Yeah. Get it off my books. I just don't want anything yeah. on the books. So a lot of that had to do with it. I, 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 I'm, I'm drawing a long story here, guys. I've been trading risk for 30 years, right? Uh, mostly in credit, because we would take equity shorts against the bonds. I talked about yep. the Nova Chemicals trade yep. and everything like that. But credit runs the world. Very simply, mm -hmm. credit runs the world. Everybody's focused on equities, but yeah. most equity guys have no idea how credit works. They have no idea what the credit rating or where the bonds trade of the companies they buy equities in, it's asinine. And most people don't understand how, how bonds big, work even. How big. The, well, the bond market's the bond at market least is. four or five times the size of equity markets. Exactly. Okay. It's where all the plumbing and the necessity to provide liquidity to the markets works. Right. Okay. 2016, our hedge fund gets bought by a Montreal-based fund. Two days to the two years to the day after we got bought, I put my hand up and said, "That's it. I'm done. I'm really leaving now for sure." Yeah. Okay, we just completed our best trades. Uh, you know, I'm not saying I made a ton of money, but I, I was financially sound. That's it. I'm not going to be a school teacher. I'm not going to fool myself with that. But I'm going yeah. out, and I'm just not going to manage else. money because managing yeah. money for people is is actually horrendous. When you when you trade your own account, you feel bad when you lose money, but it's okay because it's your own money. Then when you trade for a bank, if you lose money for the bank, you feel sort of bad, but no, yeah. it, it, you feel worse than losing your own money, yeah. but it's a bank, right? A bank. And, and the worst thing that can happen to you is you get fired. But when you trade and manage money for friends and family and stuff like that, and you lose money, even if the market's going down and you're doing better than your benchmark is doing, you still, still feel horrible. It's a tough, bad. tough business to manage yeah, yeah. money. So in 2016, I had been retired for maybe a year and this guy from Montreal who I never knew, even though I grew up in Montreal, his name is Fred Pye. We had a mutual friend and he comes to me and he goes, Foss, I'm trying to raise money to start this fund to invest in Bitcoin. I go, what the hell is Bitcoin? Okay, just like a lot of people do. Yep. Mm -hmm. He walked me through 
a couple of things. He showed me the blockchain in action. And I go, wait a minute, this is not actually a Ponzi. This mm -hmm. thing, visually, I see the blockchain in action. As an engineer, I'm like, this is brilliant. This is a thing of beauty, technological beauty. And wait a minute, there's only 21 million of these things. This thing is gonna replace Fiat. I've been looking for this solution for 30 years. Right. Right. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Yes, I'm gonna invest in your company that wants to bring a closed-end Bitcoin fund to the Toronto Stock Exchange so that everybody in Canada can have access to this beautiful asset technology class. and asset class and put it in their RSPs and TFSAs. So we did that. It wasn't an easy, uh, it wasn't an easy journey, but uh, we had to take the OSC to court and we won. Good. And uh, Canadians have made lots of money thanks to this fund as the price of Bitcoin I got involved in Bitcoin when it was 800 bucks. I'll be very honest right, with you, right. okay? Now it's at what, 42 Canadian? Uh, I don't even like look. That. I only it, look it, in US it, dollars. It was, yeah. it was at 85 and then... Okay, it doesn't matter. It's, it's around here. Listen yeah. to me, guys. Yeah. It's going to over 2 million bucks of Bitcoin. Right. Okay? <clears throat> I can't give you 100% certainty that that's mm -hmm. where it's going, right. but I will tell you that the chance of it going to over $2 million of Bitcoin is greater than zero probability. And this is... The most important thing I can tell you, this is the best trade I have ever seen in 32 years of managing risk, okay? Why? Because it's the most beautiful asymmetric return distribution of anything. It's not capped to the upside. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin goes higher as fiat goes lower. Right. So everybody thinks they're making money in their house mm -hmm. because their house value goes up. Let, mm -hmm. me, let me open people's eyes and I say this to Tom and Nick. Yep. You're not making a fucking dime. It's the fact that the unit of account called a fiat dollar is going down that you think you're making money in your house. Measure your house value in gold and you will very quickly see that your house has not changed in value relative to gold. Measure equity returns mm -hmm. in gold and you'll see that in the last 20 years, the total return by measured in gold is on a price basis zero. The only thing you've gotten is dividends on your equity portfolio, okay? This is a big problem because everybody thinks in fiat terms. And that's yeah. why I advocate that if you own zero Bitcoin, you are taking a far bigger risk than if you own a portfolio allocation greater than zero. Now, I'm not telling you to go out there and buy 50% of your portfolio in Bitcoin. Bitcoin. That's irresponsible. But get more than zero. Right. And Yale University tells you that the optimal exposure to people with exposure to bonds and stocks should take exposure out of their bond portfolio and put six to eight percent of their overall portfolio into Bitcoin. That's a big number. Yeah, that's, six that's, to that's 8%. kind of like the old school volatility adjusted gold. Let's say, remember back in the day. Okay. No, it's they even better you to than put that. five percent into gold. Let's Correct. Say. So it's yeah. even better than that. So what is Bitcoin? Let's get down to the first yeah. principles. A lot of people think of Bitcoin as digital gold. Why? Well, there's scarcity. There's only 21 million Bitcoin that'll ever be mined right. uh, using pr proof of work. Uh, what is proof of work? It's basically just having computing power on the network that tries to solve an algorithm that uh, protects the network. Proof of work provides mm -hmm. security to the network, okay? Bitcoin is a decentralized ledger, functions on the first ever blockchain. So Bitcoin was the first ever blockchain that allows you to send money person to person with no intermediary. There's no visa involved, there's no bank. So I was mentioning to JP that 
you need to own Bitcoin on a wallet on your iPhone to, to experience the beauty of sending money like I have to New Zealand. Right. It settles in 10 minutes versus an international bank transfer that would take seven days and mm-hmm. you'd need to deposit your left testicle as, uh, yeah, as, as insurance that it goes yeah. through. Okay. Like yeah. it's just so stupid. Yeah. It goes and through an intermediary bank. Swift, and Swift, yeah. Swift and all Swift, this shit. Okay. All so crap, look, yeah. look, look, look. First of all, you got to understand the technology. Own a little bit of Bitcoin on your iPhone to understand how beautiful it is to be able to transfer a store of value somewhere in the world. Doesn't matter because mm-hmm. everyone has an iP- uh, comp- um, a wallet Computer, address. Yeah. Settles in ten minutes. Stored on an immutable blockchain, protected by all the miners and nodes around the world the most secure, most powerful computer network ever created by man right now called Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. okay? Stronger computer network than anything out there. So you have security, you have scarcity, you have transferability, you have portability. It's not like you're carrying around gold. Like imagine if we start thinking, okay, gold has a lot of these properties. But you have to have a physical store. And I want to buy a loaf of bread or I want to buy, I want to buy like a a basket of groceries. Or you're going to some derivative of gold. Correct. Okay. Okay. That's all. Okay. And secondly, the supply of gold is not fixed. This is the beautiful thing about Bitcoin. Bitcoin will only ever have 21 million Bitcoin regardless of the price. Mm -hmm. Do you think if gold went today from $2,000 an ounce Mm -hmm. to 5,000 US dollars an ounce, that the supply would still only grow at 2% annually? I'll tell you right now, I'm going to get a, a drill <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to start drilling everywhere. Yeah. Like in people's teeth. Yeah. Like, fuck it, take it out of their Whatever. teeth. I'll melt it all with, down. Right? I don't okay. care. It's yeah. all, yeah. your jewelry will be melted down. Yeah. Do you think the supply of gold will be at the typical yeah. 2%? It's not even close. So that's the beautiful thing about math and code, yeah. which is Bitcoin. But I actually like to think of Bitcoin not as digital gold, but digital energy. Mm-hmm. And this is as an engineer where things get exciting for me. The first law of thermodynamics is conservation of energy. Correct. All right. If I hit this, it doesn't disappear. Even, yeah, it's math and it's conservation of energy. Okay. Well, what Bitcoin mining does is turn natural resource energy into mm-hmm. digital energy. Think of it as a battery. Okay. That stores value over time and space. Mm-hmm. So, for example... When I was 20 years old, one of my summer jobs was doing asphalt roofing, okay? Mm-hmm. That's not an easy job. And I may have made on a really good day $40, right. okay? If I had stored $40 of my sweat labor mm-hmm. in fiat currency, in fiat cash over the last 20 years, a piece do, of you think, do you think yeah. that my energy that I put into improving the value of that it's house lost. still has that same amount of value right. in no. 20 years. Not even close, you guys, no. if you if you store it yeah. in. So what is that? What is Bitcoin? Bitcoin's a technology that stores value over time and space so that you can enjoy the fruits of your labor in the future at the same value that you invested that labor at time zero. Right. That's not the case in fiat currencies. Mm-hmm. Fiat currencies are mathematically 100% programmed to debase based on my credit analysis that I've spent 32 years. And it's as simple as this. Total debt in the world compared to total GDP, which is your global tax base, is four times. Right. Okay, four. What would be a fair coupon to put on that debt, which includes legacy debt that was issued at higher interest rates, includes corporate debt, it includes municipal debt, it includes 
risky, non-risky structured product, is it fair to put a 3% coupon on that debt? I think it is, okay? On a blended basis. Yeah, should be uh, Easily. It's actually yeah. low. Well, if your numerator is four times the size of your denominator mm-hmm. and your numerator has a coupon which is organically growing at 3%, Correct. that means your numerator is growing at 12%. That means mm-hmm. your global economy has to grow at 12%, 12%. just to keep pace Which is not with your... Okay, not even close, mm-hmm. okay? Because worse, they're piling on more and more debt by right. printing money in the numerator. Right. It's mathematically certain that your fiat currency will accelerate in its debasement. Correct. Okay. Bitcoin solves this, okay? Bitcoin is the anti-fiat. And what I do from a credit perspective is I take and calculate an intrinsic value for Bitcoin. So one of your questions, Warren Buffett says it has no intrinsic value. Correct. Warren Buffett's a fucking moron <laughs> in this case. Yeah. I like Warren Buffett, okay? Yeah. He's absolutely intellectually lazy or worse, he's so conflicted because he owns so many bank stocks right. yeah, that's that he, he cannot yeah, tell right. you what the, what, the, what the Mexican banker, third richest man in the world said about a week and a half ago, he owns a bank, he's a Mexican banker, and he called Fiat a Ponzi. That man has guts. Warren Buffett has no guts, or he's a conflicted liar. Well, Warren, if you're listening to this, yeah. I'm calling you out, okay? <laughs> you are conflicted. I hope Warren's not listening yeah. to this. I don't care, I want to, because yeah. he's actually costing my kids their future. Because right. right. they actually think that Charlie Munger, a 95-year-old what do you call an octogenarian and then after that, yeah, whatever he is. Super old. Nine, never used an iPhone in his life, <laughs> understands about zero about technology, is calling it rat poison squared. Fuck you, Charlie Munger. <laughs> you are a stupid old fuck, okay? I'm telling you, and I'm sorry because I have three kids that have to listen to this, yeah. okay? The man may be brilliant when it comes down yeah, to yeah. other stuff like buying Heinz ketchup and uh, Coca-Cola yeah. and by the way, all those diabetic-inducing uh, sugar colas yeah, that yeah. you're fucking invested in. Yeah. Get off of your little high horse and do some intellectual research on yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. It's the most beautiful technology and it will change lives of people in the third world. And that's the most important thing. Because everyone who lives in G7 countries like we do and is privileged, mm-hmm. we don't think about the problem that printing money causes to the other people Correct. in the world. It's called the Cantillion effect. Okay. And basically it means that people that do not own hard assets like real estate, stocks, gold, Yes. They're going to get punished every yeah. time you keep printing more money because where do they store in any money. value they have? In, money. in yeah. fiat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. You're saying third world countries. That, that applies to our, our, our 40% citizens. 40% of the U.S. is exactly that as well. Exactly. It doesn't apply to you guys. Yeah. I love what you've done to this condo and everything that you're in here. Yeah. This, yeah. It's brilliant you what you're doing. Asset. Yeah. There you, you have go. a hard asset that's okay. going to at least provide a hedge here against you fiat. Go. Right? You need to teach and take yourself out of the lucky bubble that we live in, because I'm in the same mm-hmm. bubble as you, and understand what this can do to change lives of people like in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so I was speaking at a Bitcoin conference in Miami mm-hmm. about a month ago now, close to a month, four we- three or four weeks ago, um, and I met these kids from Guatemala that they are trying to do a project in Guatemala that was based on this similar project in El Salvador called Bitcoin Beach. So El Salvador, your listeners may or may not know, has adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. Right. It's brilliant, right. okay? Mm-hmm. They have... They were the first, first country. country to yes. do it. Yes. Now, why did they do it? Well, one of the reasons they did it is of their six million citizens, 
Four million of them don't even have a bank account. Yeah. Right. Crazy. But they have an iPhone. Okay. The other reason is of their gross domestic product, 20% of their gross domestic product comes from remittances. Which that, which, what is a remittance? Mm -hmm. A remittance is when you have your local worker who's working in the United States, uh, El Salvadorian, mm -hmm. remitting money back to his family or her family in El Salvador to help that family in El Salvador yeah, live. Right. You know when you do that and you go to Western Union and you transfer your yep. US dollars from Western Union point A to Western Union El Salvador, Western Union at the end of the day takes about 20%. Yeah, 20%, okay. If 20% of their GDP was remittances and Western Union takes 20% on 20%, wow. that's 4% of their GDP gone. is yeah. gone to Western Union. Yeah. Okay, if you use Bitcoin, none of that happens. Yeah. And the more important thing is the people that are receiving Bitcoin in El Salvador don't have to get on a bus and go five hour bus ride to the Western Union right. office to right. get the it's money. Right and then even more importantly, where do you think the gangs and the criminals hang out in El Salvador? <laughs> Right around the Western Union yeah. building they because why? They just got, yeah. they, they know tax. that their guys just got a, a whack of dough. Yeah. So this solves so many problems. It changes third world. It changes third, oops, sorry. It changes third world. The first time this happened um, was with Tom and Nick. So my phone, my Apple iWatch just yeah, rang. Yeah, yeah. It happened with Tom and Nick on one of their uh, podcasts and I just got my iPhone. Yeah. I didn't know how to turn it off. And I'm like, sorry guys, I'm such an idiot. Like I'm technologically inept, right? Because yeah. I'm, look, hey, I'm 58 years old, okay? Yeah. I graduated McGill having never used a personal computer because they right. didn't exist. Yeah. yeah. Okay, you got to understand what it means to have an iPhone that you can do all this stuff on. Yeah. yeah. This is coming, you it's guys. Crazy, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's yeah. Digital. digital. Digital currency. Okay, so El Salvador, it's going to happen. What's going to happen with the countries like Canada that have their heads in the sand, there could be a flippening. Mm -hmm. We should all learn Spanish in Canada, in my right. opinion. We'd be wise to learn Spanish because if Central America takes this like they could, more importantly, what price is Bitcoin going to go to? Well, yeah, you're, what you're saying now is you're, you're, you're going to move a significant amount of wealth out of these countries if Central America buys into it first. What you will do is you will get a user base based out of Central America that will have accumulated Bitcoin at a price that I think is very cheap, right. okay? And that's only a store of value. So what are two things that could happen? Well, firstly this, there's only 21 million Bitcoins. I think of Bitcoin as digital energy. If you are Russia, Mm -hmm. that's selling valuable natural resources out of the ground for US dollars. Is that a smart trade? Well, generally no. I would say yeah. not at all. Yeah. Do you think Russia, everything else being equal, would want to receive Bitcoin, digital energy for their natural energy? Of course. I think they Eventually, would. Eventually. Okay. Yeah. So I think over time, in the not too distant future, oil and natural gas will be priced in Bitcoin. When that happens, I think Bitcoin could become the reserve asset of the world, displacing the reserve currency to an extent. So fiat is going to exist. I have a little story about fiat. Fiat, again, is a unit of account that is continually being debased, but it works for things like avoiding barter. Okay, right. so what is barter? It's when you have to change, you, you trade one picture frame for a light stand. Yeah. You know, I mean, that. well, that trade doesn't work, but yeah. seven picture frames for one light stand, maybe that works. Well, here's a story. Have you guys heard about the time when there's a, a guy, 
he's got a cow on the end of his rope and he's walking down the center of town. He has a for sale sign on his cow for $600,000 for mm-hmm. a cow. And the townspeople are laughing their ass off. You're an idiot. You're never going to sell that cow for $600,000. And about a week later, he's walking downtown in town, but there's no for sale sign. He's got three chickens behind him. And they said, I told you you'd never sell that cow for $600,000. He goes, damn right I did. I just sold it for these three $200,000 chickens. <laughs> that's all Fiat is, okay? Yeah. It avoids. It's an agreement shit. between it's you his. and me. Oh, that's all Fiat's yeah. good for. It's not good for storing your value over time and space. Right. It's for transacting. 100%. Primarily it's for transacting. So what is Bitcoin layer one? Bitcoin layer one, which is the blockchain, is right. a store of value. Now, El Salvador is incorporating a level two or a layer two solution called the Lightning Network, which allows you to purchase bread and chocolate bar and and, and milk without having to post that transaction per se on the blockchain itself. They They accumulate these transactions in the Lightning Network and then post one transaction on the blockchain. Okay. Okay, so that's why the people will say, well, Bitcoin only does seven transactions per second. That cannot, no, but, you can block, yeah, you can but you can consolidate these things. Course. So Visa yeah. does, people will say, well, they can never compete with Visa. And I will say, you are right. It won't compete with Visa Directly. on a layer one, yeah. but when you do layer two, yeah. it will compete with Which Visa. Visa is a layer two to Attaboy. fiat anyways. Doesn't That's, matter. So I love you, You get this, okay? Yeah. No wonder you're invested in Bitcoin. So at the end of the day- Are you? can't say what I am. Okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But here's all I know yeah. is don't confuse yourself with the technology at layer one versus layer two versus right. layer three. And layer three is yeah. where it really gets exciting. Layer three is basically all this Ethereum stuff, smart contracts. Mm-hmm. So what is Ethereum? For people out there, remember I'm only talking at this point about Bitcoin. Right. I do own a little bit of, of, of Ethereum, but I by far prefer Bitcoin as a store of value over to Ethereum. Ethereum. Okay. Firstly, why? Well, Ethereum uses, uh, is moving to a proof of stake uh, uh, protocol versus proof of work. Proof of stake implies centralization. Bitcoin has no central. It's decentralized. So I can chop off any one computer. Ethereum Ethereum has this idiot, uh, Vitalik Buterin, who is is a Canadian, but looks like a squid. Okay. (laughs) Um, He's pretty smart, but he's designed a centralized application. Like... Think of your phone. It's an yeah. application. I'm not saying Ethereum doesn't work. I'm just telling you the two are not comparable for what Bitcoin does for me, mm-hmm. which is a scarce store of value. Math and code, 21 million forever and ever. Ethereum, if Vitalik doesn't even know the total supply of Ethereum, his answer? Well, it's complicated. Well, I yeah, that's, I mean... You like Bitcoin, number one, because of supply. Attaboy. You've taken one of the big equations out. Yeah. Supply and demand is, is is like the number one thing. Well, that's thing. it. Scarcity. It, 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 yeah. It, it and, will. and as like, uh, if, what's his name? Um, he wrote that uh, book. I think his name, he's from Lebanon. Oh, uh, Safetyne. I Safe was on Dean. his podcast. Okay. Yeah, he's, so he's beautiful. He talks about, and his, he breaks it down very nicely in his book, the stock to flow, right? There's the stock to flow, and yeah. then there's the limiting factor of the the limited number of Bitcoin Correct. that, can be, that can be created. And of course, you can just use fractional Bitcoins for purchases. Everyone and always said, like, you know, yeah. I can't afford one Bitcoin. So there's so price buy bias by yeah. by people. But you just invest a hundred dollars weekly in Bitcoin, and hopefully over time, mm-hmm. you'll accumulate one full Bitcoin. Because here's where I think the price of Bitcoin's going. Okay, I started the show yeah. by telling you. I'm going to tell you how I get to the price of over two million bucks of Bitcoin. Okay. 
total global financial assets in the world today, which includes real estate, bonds, equities, gold, fine art, currencies, you name it. Yeah. Total, this is Interna Institute of International Finance number, 900 trillion US dollars. Okay. Okay. That's it. Well, that's, yeah, yeah I love your style. Identify. Yeah, that's, that's, that's Identify. It's at 900 trillion. So we Wait, have, you have we haven't trillion? valued the moon yeah. yet. Yeah, well, there you go. But it's it. everything on yeah. Earth, but yeah. it doesn't include Earth, okay? Yeah, like, it's just every financial yeah. asset on Earth. Okay. If that's 900 trillion bucks, and I think there's a better than, you know, quite a substantial chance that energy is used to, uh, Bitcoin is used to price energy. Is it crazy someday to think that Bitcoin could be worth 5%? of the total global financial assets? Completely, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so what's 5% of 900 trillion? 45 trillion. What's 45 trillion divided by 21 million? Two million, Two million bucks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's simple math. That's I pretty, love, that's that pretty simple. Yeah. That's pretty and simple. And does this, this, um, and you know, I have my thoughts on this. From, okay, but from can I just finish my thought? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Fabio. Because I can't be 100% certain it's going there, but let's mm -hmm. play an expected value game. Let's play poker here, okay. and there's only a binary outcome. It either goes to zero, or it goes to $2 million and higher. Okay. Would you give me a 10% chance that it goes to $2 million and higher if I gave you a 90% chance it's actually worth zero, like Nouriel and, right, right, and, right. and Warren Buffett think? Is that fair? 90-10? Sure. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, I, I mean, okay, that's sure, pretty yeah. low, right? I mean, you're, yeah. you got nine times the chance it goes to your price versus yeah. the one time it goes yeah. to my price. Well, do an expected value on that. Ninety percent times zero is zero, and I don't yeah. actually think it actually ever goes yeah. to zero. But ninety percent times zero, yeah. and then ten percent times two million is what two hundred thousand bucks. Yeah. That's an expected value calculation mm -hmm. on a binary outcome mm -hmm. that values Bitcoin today right. at two hundred thousand mm -hmm. bucks a coin. Yep. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to buy this asymmetric return opportunity yeah, right. because in reality, it's a continuous distribution. It's not just two outcomes. It's continuous. And as I said, it's the best asymmetric return distribution I've ever seen in my life. Okay. So don't fret if it's 30,000, 40,000 or 50,000 or if it went to 65,000 and now it's back down to 35,000. It's a rounding error. Right. Right. You need to buy some, you need to store some of your wealth in this beautiful technology just in case I'm right. Because if you don't own any Bitcoin and it goes to the price I think it's going to go to, mm -hmm. you are going to be the one. Yeah, and you don't have infinite loss opportunity. It's not like you're shorting a stock or something Attaboy, like that. If you put 3% of your portfolio in this and you can put it away. You of your portfolio. Yes. That's okay, and more importantly, number. what actually happens though? Remember, you've put 3% of your portfolio in this and 97% of it is in something else. You're going to start looking at this 3%. Like it's it's going to keep you up at night. And you're like, oh my God, it trades 24 hours a day. You've got to stop that. You've got to increase your time preference. Let's talk in 20 years. That's what I say, okay? Because within my lifetime, I'm not sure it goes to 2 million bucks, but within my kid's lifetime, mm -hmm. I have a much higher degree of confidence it will right. and so why am I doing this and why am I passionate about this and why do I call out former heroes like Warren Buffett because it's for my kids all right this is an opportunity to help change the world for the better but if you don't get on that train you're going to be left behind listening to Nouriel and all these other right. conflicted academics about what the probability is now, Nouriel has blocked me on Twitter. 
I'm, yeah. I'm sort of happy about that. I have no idea what I said. Peter, uh, <laughs> Peter Schiff or whatever. Well, Peter name. Schiff, yeah. to his credit, he hasn't blocked me yet. Maybe he doesn't even know I exist. But that's yeah. all good because, look, it is so dangerous to listen to these people that are yeah. conflicted. I'm not telling you to put, you know, my number that I own as a percentage of my portfolio is higher than 10%, okay? Mm -hmm. But it's not 100 Mm -hmm. Like I, I own real estate. I own other stuff. Right, right, right. But you, 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 you are a little bit conflicted because I mean, let's let, how many how many podcasts have you done? I don't necessarily need the price <laughs> yeah. to go up. I'm doing okay. it because yeah. again, look, am I lucky? Yes, I'm extremely fortunate. Yeah. I worked hard to make money. To me, whether Bitcoin goes up or down is not going to change. Your life. All yeah. of my life. No, it'll yeah. it'll change some of it. I'll yeah. be really proud that I'm able to be a philanthropist philanthropist however you say that you know what i mean like if i want to be right and i own enough bitcoin that let's say it does go up a hundred times from its current yeah, price which i think it could yeah. i mean that's going to be good and i promise you i'll give money to people that are For less sure. fortunate right but do i go on podcasts because i want just push it up. Again, yeah. I don't care if yeah. even if bitcoin went from thirty thousand today to one hundred and fifty thousand, i wouldn't sell it it's just hold on. I believe yeah. again that it can go up another tenfold from a hundred and fifty thousand. Right. right. And I don't know when that's going to happen, but imagine if Canada had the guts to actually put Bitcoin on their reserve balance mm -hmm. sheet. So we let, sold all our gold. Let, yeah. This is a this is the good point that I want to bring up because I mean we've tackled supply. Yeah. You love blockchain and yep. technology. There's the demand side of this. So yes. the demand, uh, as more people buy in, yeah. market cap goes up, yeah. price goes up. But the governments, yes. China, number one. Yeah. I mean, the governments, the US government, the Canadian yeah. government, they don't want Bitcoin. Smart governments do. So El Salvador wants Bitcoin. Well, it, okay. it works for them. Okay, yeah. but here's the difference. Don't you got to remove yourself from a G7 privileged ideology to the other 180 countries around the world that have fiat currencies that are garbage. Right, true. That true. need to protect their citizens and yeah. the net worth of they their citizens. They issue bonds in U.S. dollars. They should issue yeah. bonds and buy Bitcoin. Yeah. With the proceeds, a portion of it at least. Okay, um, it's just a financial risk model. Um, should Canada? Yeah, Canada should own some on their balance sheets. After right. all, we own less gold than Haiti. Isn't that sort of embarrassing? That Canada right. owns less gold on their balance sheet than Haiti. But we're so successful, at least now, by just printing money. Okay, well, it, you that's, know what I mean? that's actually like, that's like saying I'm so successful because I can drink 24 beers in a, in, exactly, in a no, day. But I'm saying oh, like, damn, I am successful. <laughs> my only success away. But, but I mean, even, even if, you, if you think about it, right? If they, if the G7 or, or the, yeah. the major, major yeah. economies yeah. Get together, yes. and the same thing happens in taxation. Go keep yeah. keep right? going with me. If they gather together, and yeah, I know and what you're going to say, they conspire against it, it goes can higher. That, can goes that higher destroy it? Right? No. Yeah. Because the only way they can stop it is by shutting the internet, which and is impossible. It, yeah. Well, they could shut the internet on Earth, but they can't stop the satellites. Right. Didn't, okay. Didn't, didn't China shut it down? No, only mining. Just mining. mining. I, thought, I thought I thought China came out and said asset managers weren't allowed to hold it. Well, there's no asset managers. And, 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 and listen, listen here. Anyway. China, China, just did the great great place. Nothing against Chinese people, but oftentimes China will say one thing and possibly do another. 
Okay. But this one's real. They kicked out the miners. We're seeing it in our energy business. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, we're seeing the migration, which is actually very good for the Bitcoin network anyway. Mm -hmm. We want Bitcoin mining to come to North America. It can change indigenous communities in Canada. Imagine if an indigenous community which needs uh, uh, electricity... takes one of our machines, which right. we, we sell, it's like a jet engine on the back of a trailer truck, takes our jet engine, in the winter, heats their entire village, including greenhouses, so that they can have uh, legumes that they don't have now because uh, that's why they have such high rates of diabetes or whatever. Right. And in the summer, when they don't need it, they mine Bitcoin. Right. And it's they create a money. revenue stream on this otherwise idle asset, okay? And they actually changed their entire culture to embrace Bitcoin as separation of state and money. Do you think there's some indigenous that don't like the Canadian dollar? I think there is. Okay. I think there is. Now, that being said, I don't want a complete collapse of of fiat. That would be way too painful for everybody involved. competition for fiat might be good, like a competition in anything. I love your style. Exactly. Okay. Remember what fiat's good at. Remember what what store of value is good at. I still own a little bit of gold, but Bitcoin's so much superior to gold, it's not funny. Um, I don't want fiat to fail but fiat right. will fail because ultimately all fiat currencies fail over history all fiat currencies have failed the started with the russian excuse me with the roman soldiers and then mm-hmm. clipping off the corners Clipping, of yeah. their coins and then changing gold composition and coins etc what it comes right down to is pure mathematics and i always go back to that fiat is programmed to debase because of the debt spiral that i base my entire career on um Bitcoin has whether you know anywhere between 100 million and 150 million users around the world right now. Yeah. It's growing at two million dollars a week, a month. Uh, no, two million users a week. Um, El Salvador just onboarded six million of their own client, uh, of their own citizens that are going to use it and have to. Right. The commerce has to accept Bitcoin as legal tender. It's been uh, mandated by law in the in in El Salvador. This thing is like any other network effect. Once it gets critical mass and the more demand, right. the price of Bitcoin people. is more likely to go up than it goes down. Bitcoin is a less risky investment at today's price than it was when I invested in it at eight hundred bucks. Right. It's a better opportunity today at. 35 or 34,000 US dollars. Again, it's the hockey stick of network adoption. It's called the Lindy effect. All of this is just so necessary to get out there and tell people rather than the narrative that you're undoubtedly going to read in the newspaper that Bitcoin's boiling the oceans, that Bitcoin is used by criminals, that Bitcoin is good for the drug trade, that Bitcoin is rat poison squared. All of that is FUD. All of it is malarkey okay bitcoin on the energy front uses one-tenth of one percent of global energy used annually that's not wasted oh no that one-tenth of one percent yet the other 99 percent that's out there of the other 99 percent that's out there yes a ton of it is wasted do you know that in canada we have a nuclear reactor up in bruce mm-hmm that pays Americans at certain times of the day to take our power, <laughs> not just sells it to them at a low price. We pay them. Because oh, it's going to get wasted. 
Shouldn't it be smarter that we so could actually mine, mine Bitcoin? some Bitcoin on that? <laughs> and actually, I'm talking to the MPP. Yeah. No, not MPP. The MP, so the Member of Parliament. Yeah. His name is Ben Lobb, yeah. who's Huron Bruce, who says, I think we should be actually be mining Bitcoin. That would make... Wouldn't it make Canadians sort of smart yeah. as opposed to paying Americans to take our power? Because you can't change the base load of a nuclear generator it generates and it generates yeah Yeah. that's it man same thing with uh you know the supposed green energy of uh of uh, hydro dams those turbines are turning no matter what um yeah the water flows the water flows you You can't stop it and you if you don't have batteries to store the the energy in which you don't piss it away you you need to you need to do something with it to create energy so as long as you're using as long as you're using good energy sources rather than coal or something like that See, here's uh, I'm I'm gonna bring my uh, engineering hat to the table here. So it's funny the way they define green energy in in certain cases. Like let's let's look at a hydro dam. You know how many tons of concrete go into producing a hydro dam? Right. Yeah. I would concrete been. is one of the most environmentally polluting processes there is. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then if you're an indigenous like my partner is at Validus Power, if they flood a, a, a huge um, a huge uh, uh, tract of indigenous land. Is that really that green? Yeah. You know, I know it, it replenishes itself using, uh, uh, you know, uh, rainwater and everything. So oh, after the 40 years when you've built your, your dam and there's no more concrete uh, uh, emissions and uh, you've flooded all the land and everyone accepts it as being, uh, you know, flooded. Um, yeah, maybe hydroelectricity is green, but I yeah. promise you it's not green when you're producing the dam. Right. Uh, and the same thing goes in, goes for windmills. You know, the amount of electricity that's used or the amount of energy that's used to produce the common windmill is more than that windmill will ever generate in their life unless that windmill's in exactly a perfect wind uh, channel mm-hmm. that produces like a 16, consistent 16 knot per our wind that's crazy otherwise those are the most capital silly capital investments ever but mm-hmm. our governments have mandated that they we look need to good. get on the, well they, they look, look good they until look you good have, like in, in terms of like uh, they look virtue good signaling. Right. They, they look good yeah. virtue signaling they 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 do low frequency uh they drive people crazy that live next to them because yeah. there's a low frequency humming they kill all sorts of birds you never hear of mm-hmm. and when those turbines break those fiberglass turbines you can't recycle them. You can't recycle them. They, they, they stay and there for hundreds of years. Yeah. And then we add in the manufacturing process and how, how environmentally polluting it is. So look, I go back to coal. I agree that coal is, uh, is um, not, not, not clean compared to natural gas. But natural gas is a beautiful, beautiful energy source. And that's what we use in our business, okay? okay. We can take one of our mobile ter- uh, jet engines. We can go into a, a field where they're venting natural gas into the atmosphere or otherwise flaring it, we can take that energy source and in six and a half hours, we're Bitcoin mining using <laughs> an energy source that's otherwise being burned into the atmosphere. That's great. This is cool stuff. That's great. Okay? Cool. This is cool stuff and it cleans the environment. You capture the carbon. You even run another steam generator off of the exhaust of the jet engine and you create a combined cycle solution. Mm-hmm. You could play around with carbon credits and all that stuff, but look, let me just tell you, I am a capitalist with a heart. I don't, I love the environment. I love the oceans. I don't 
want to boil the oceans. I promise you Bitcoin is not. We have more plastic waste in the oceans that we need to worry about than Bitcoin boiling the oceans. But right. people have, for some reason, latched onto this FUD because a lot of people don't want Bitcoin to succeed because yeah. they are fiat junkies. They are right. empowered. They are the top 3% of the, of, the, mm -hmm. uh, of the chain. They are the ones that benefit by printing more money. And, and this is government uh -huh. intervention when it comes to real estate. So anytime the government says something bad about real estate, I buy real estate. It, it's, I like your style. They just they, they, try and, they try and paint a picture yeah. um, to point you in the wrong direction. It's, and you know why that stupid. is, right? Yeah. Because our economy is based on a consumption economy. Correct. They right. don't want you to store your wealth of course, yeah. they in a hard asset. They want GDP. you to consume it because that's 70% yeah. of GDP is, right. is, is consumer Consume. consumption, right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> look, I just go back to my first principles of engineering. I also go and tell you, if you really understood how banks worked, you wouldn't have to save a dollar in any Canadian bank. It's ridiculous, but people own Canadian bank stocks because why? Well, yeah, they are too big to fail and they pay a juicy 4% dividend. I promise you they have no idea the true risk that they're exposed to, but that's fine. I'm not going to tell people to go out there and sell their bank stocks, but don't hold a ton of money in fixed income instruments, which are nothing more than a contract mm -hmm. that are guaranteed to debase. You should be taking a portion of your fixed income portfolio and moving it into Bitcoin. Right. Okay. Perfect. And that that's kind of the the one of the main uh, questions I had for you. Okay. Um, Bitcoin in a portfolio. Yes. You see it then as uh, an alternative to, not an alternative to, but a complement to the fixed income component of your portfolio? I Great question. So the, the reality is uh, having traded fixed income for 30 years, I have no fixed income. Right. It's the worst investment IRR return that mm -hmm. I've ever seen in my history. High yield bonds now yield around 4%. Yeah, That's the index. Yeah. And that is before expected and unexpected defaults. Take that down to about 3%. Right. And it's before you pay your mutual fund guy another yeah, 20 another, basis points. Yeah. And... After inflation, you're getting a negative tax, real. You're getting you're, a negative real. Yeah. It's the dumbest yeah. investment I've ever seen. Okay. But if you must own high yield bonds and you don't own Bitcoin, you're like that Rogers account that owned the equity but wouldn't buy right. the bonds because the bonds were junk. But I mean, just you're, from a just from a regular, you know, let's say you go, you're going out there to the retail customer. Yes. Right. You know, there is a standard of care. Let's call it that. That you know, an advisor should be following. Right, in according order to, to not their, get sued. According to their, see, isn't that isn't right. that dangerous? So Bitcoin could go to zero, <laughs> they, yeah. They but so pull. can equities go yeah. to zero. No, like you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, it's hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think the chance of Bitcoin going to zero is so remote versus your standard equity. You know, in the in the in the Dow thirty ten years ago, mm -hmm. you had Kodak, you right. had you had companies in the Dow thirty are gone, that, yeah. that are gone. Yeah, right. you know. These things happen and yeah. people accept it in the equity portfolio, but God forbid it should happen in something called Bitcoin. Bitcoin right. Come on, guys, yeah. stop. Yeah. Like, stop. Think for yourself. And if yeah. your financial advisor is too intellectually lazy or conflicted because mm -hmm. Bank of Nova Scotia does not want Bitcoin to succeed, therefore Bank of Nova Scotia tells its advisors not to promote Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right. dang, yeah. whose who's money, who are they costing money? Right. 
Right. So within it, let's say you go with a traditional 60-40 split yes. on, on a portfolio. Yes. boy. Where does the where does Bitcoin, the Bitcoin comes out of your 40, out which the 40. is the bond. Okay. okay. I'm just telling you, of a 60-40 portfolio, I own zero in the 40% allocation. Right, right. Okay. Right. And of Bitcoin, do I own 40%? No, I don't. Okay. But that's where it should start coming out of okay. for people's so it portfolio. Should come, in your opinion, then, it, it's, it should be encroaching on the fixed income component. 100%, especially okay. given where interest rates are. Secondly, and most importantly, a fixed income contract is a fiat contract. If I lend you $100 today mm-hmm. over a 10-year period, yeah. even to the Canadian government, you'll get your $100 back in 10 years. But it's you know that $100 is not going to be worth the $100 yeah. that it was at time zero. Yeah. That's why you need to own something that will offset Great. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I'm, yeah, I think I'm good. Do you have any like takeaways? Um, and you think people should open their own wallet? Like- so, so that's the I own Bitcoin in three in three different ways. I own it on my iPhone because why? It's so cool to transfer store mm-hmm. value, transfer it to your kids, show it to your kids, do them a favor, right. put a Bitcoin wallet on your kid's iPhone, right. just so they can appreciate the new technology and the beauty of them sending twenty bucks yeah. to their buddy rather than an e transfer. Just one day, something. Okay. Then I also own Bitcoin which is called in cold storage because you never want your iPhone can get hacked and you can lose your Bitcoin on your iPhone. Mm -hmm. It's not that the Bitcoin blockchain got hacked. It's that your iPhone got hacked and they stole your Bitcoin. So you don't want to hold too much Bitcoin on your iPhone. So I have it, what's called in cold storage. That's like having it on a, on a ledger in a safe in my house, much like physical gold. Okay. Okay. That's there for, for my kids. I'm never going to touch that one. Then I also own Bitcoin in these, vehicles that are tax advantage that ultimately the government's paying you to to to, to own some bitcoin and i like that okay. right because it's yeah. tax advantage so i own it three different ways like in an rsp through a, rsp yeah. tfsa correct right. like an correct. etf or a mutual fund or something so it, so the etf yeah. so yeah. absolutely go to an etf the yeah. the the purpose etf is a, is a big one it's very mm-hmm. liquid it trades right on its net asset value. It's, but with it's, your other two, you own the actual coin. Yes. Yeah, so there's a there's a uh, a term in 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 the uh, Bitcoin community, not your keys, not your coin. The the ones that are my keys are the ones that are in my wallet and in my cold storage. Mm-hmm. But in my in an investment ETF, portfolio, you have a unitized trust. That's so, exactly yeah. what it is. That a boy. Yeah. So at the end of the day. Uh, do I want the world to come to a point where you actually need to have store your keys in your head because there's no, no. Armageddon? No, I don't. Okay. Right. So I'll own it in other places. If I see that day coming, I'm going to promise you, you have way bigger problems than just owning your Bitcoin. Right. What are you going to do with your house? Okay. Cause yeah. you can't pick it up and walk it, walk away with it. You know, it's okay. there. It's a fixed asset that's in the ground. Um, so these are things that Bitcoin offers me as protection against the uncertainty of idiot politicians like Justin Trudeau, who did not pass grade 11 math, and yet says things like, government uh, budgets will balance themselves. If he was the CEO of a company, he'd be fired, he'd be fired yeah. on the spot, yeah. Yeah. okay? And not only that, his stock would be shorted into oblivion. Yeah. But he gets away with it because he's a pretty boy, yeah. okay? And those days are coming to an end as well. Perfect. So where do people find you? Because like, yeah. you're, you know, you're always out there. Uh, right. I found Twitter. So right. listen, I used to be a Bloomberg addict. Bloomberg was a trading platform for right. fixed income. Yeah. I thought it was a brilliant thing. Was, I, used to price, I used to price fixed income with Bloomberg. Oh, you had to. That's what it was designed yeah. for. It's a thing yeah. of beauty, okay? 
Um, and uh, and why did you do that? Were you in the business or? I was uh, a hedge fund administrator. So we had to oh. price a portfolio for okay. the NAV. And, Attaboy, and exactly. Yeah. So Bloomberg is the most brilliant financial tool for pricing yeah. fixed income, okay? Uh, as opposed to having used, when I got in the business, there were guys that still used what was called a bond book, where you know you had to get on and, yeah. and go like into a phone book. Okay, accrued interest on this yeah. date yeah. for this about yeah, yeah. this coupon, this bond, the accrued interest. Like it was unbelievable, but that's all it was. So 20 years ago, fast forward into the future, yeah. everybody will own Bitcoin. Everybody will have a central bank digital currency on their phone as well. Be careful out there, people. Bitcoin is not a central bank digital currency because what is a central bank digital currency? It's just digital fiat yeah. Yeah. with tracking. Now, this is very dangerous. Yeah. Mm. Oh, the Liberal Party's in, uh, in, in power, and I see on your phone, Mr. Foss, that you attended a restaurant that had was right near a conservative rally. Right. I don't know what they're going to do, but they yeah. have that information. Yeah. And then the second one is this. Imagine that a central bank digital currency has a best before date where they make you spend it or else it gets vaporized off your wallet. Fuck. <laughs> that makes the consumer society work. That's what they want to have. Here's some money. And if you don't use it, you lose this coupon. Crazy. Okay. Don't confuse what Bitcoin is, which is a decentralized ledger with only 21 million ever and ever store of value over time and space, a beautiful technology to transfer wealth to your children. Post stuff. Easy peasy. I'm gonna I'm gonna post links. Okay. So that people can follow you. Yep. Right? Foss at Greg Foss on Twitter. That's uh, I've actually here's a do you know I have almost twenty four thousand followers on Twitter now? That's <laughs> crazy. I have like yeah. three. Uh, it's all good. Like, you know, I didn't realize what a powerful tool it's, it is. You know, it's and I, it's powerful tool. for yeah. me because I learn a lot. Yeah. Okay. So at Mainly Greg Foss. US. At Foss. At Foss, Greg Foss. Yeah. At, at Foss, Foss, Greg Foss. Foss. Okay. And I was on a podcast last night with uh, this other guy, and I want to pitch him right here, that's been on Tom and Nick's podcast. Yep. His name is Jeff Booth. Okay. He's a Canadian author okay. based in Vancouver. Okay. Wrote the best book I've ever read. It's okay. called The Price of Tomorrow. Okay. Right. You need to read it. Read okay. this. Okay. He's an author. He yeah. loves Bitcoin. He's doing similar stuff to me. Okay. Because he is so concerned about the future for the children. And that's a wrap. Greg Foss, great guy, super smart, super informative. We learned a lot. We hope you learned a lot. Don't forget to check out the show notes, just in case you got lost. I have um, a bunch of key definitions in there, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>